We stay the course. We are dead. We are all dead. We were supposed to make the world a better place. What happened? I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. I know kung fu. You either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. This whole thing is insane. This whole thing is insane. 300 years ago, you'd have been burned at the stake. What do all men with power want? More power. This is now the United States of Zombieland. This whole thing is insane! Man is evil, capable of nothing but destruction! Everybody is stuck with the things that they're not proud of. More power. Welcome to the desert. Of the real. More power. There can be only one. Are you a God-fearing man, Senator? You're such a strange phrase. I've always thought of God as a teacher, as a bringer of light, wisdom, and understanding. You see, I think what you really are afraid of is me. Happy heresies and welcome to the desert of the real. Heresy shouldn't be this much fun, but it is. It just is. Especially with the audio version of AB Live. This one, episode 59. Raw, uncensored, and unfiltered. Just like the truth you've been looking for across all your existences. Supercharged by stellar audience participation. A belief in angelic or human bird slash avianoid as a messenger between the divine and humans is found in the Abrahamic, ancient Greek, Mesopotamian and Egyptian records and worldwide among shamanistic and animistic peoples. Are these beings real or just mortal projections or in between? We travel to prehistoric and ancient history to find out. We were joined by Bernie Taylor, author of Before Orion, Finding the Face of the Hero. Needless to say, our show got very Jungian, archetypal, alternative archaeological, and just awe-inspiring. And Bigfoot made a lot of appearances for some reason. Don't go anywhere, because, as I mentioned in the interview, October is pregnant with magnificent and Halloween-themed content. Next week we are joined by a rising star in the esoterica. Cat Rose Nelligan joins us to discuss the daemon in all its facets, including how you can connect with it right now. Thank you so much for those of you who support this Red Pill Cafeteria. I hope I have served you well. Your support and company keep me going. Don't forget the Finding Hermes program and my voiceover availability. Whether it's an audiobook, commercial, podcast, or documentary, I can bring stellar results to your project. Keep in mind you can now tip via Stripe, since many of you use it, found in the show notes of any audio podcast. We need Gnosis more than ever. You won't find this high-quality Gnostic and Hermetic wisdom or guests and their unique insights anywhere else in cyberspace or even meat space. Led us to our latest AB Live with Bernie Taylor. But first, 
Here's a take on angels from his dark materials. Are shadows the same as Lyra's dust? Yes. And is dust dark matter? Yes. So dark matter is conscious? Evidently. <laughs> the mind that's answering these questions. It isn't human, is it? No. But humans have always known us. There's more than one of you. Uncountable billions. What are you? Angels. Angels? Yes. Angels are creatures made up of shadow matter of dust. Yes. And shadow matter is what we call spirit. From what we are, spirit. From what we do, matter. Matter and spirit are one. You've always been there. Making, stimulating, guiding. So does that mean angels have intervened in human evolution? Yes. Well, why? Vengeance. We are live, uh, Birdie Num Num and a world where men have nipples and all those little trite things that make you wonder why even get out of bed in the morning. But we have a great reason to get out of bed, and that's AB Live. I don't know about hope, but I know there is providence, and I know there is imagination. So welcome, everybody, to our latest AB Live episode 59 here in the virtual Alexandria. Glad to see people already going into the chat, and it's going to be a good one. Lots of good discussion about angels from their history to their anthropology. Did I say that right? Through their psycho psychology. And uh, it's always great to have with us Bernie Taylor. T Bernie, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the show. I love the new intro. And in there you have something like... Um, speakers or provocateurs who are accepted and rejected. Um, and, and I just, yeah. I just, I just came over twelve um, academic co international conference tour um, in archaeology, um, canine science, uh, mythology, astronomy, archaeoastronomy across the board. And one of them was the psychology of religion. And that's where we're going to go today. In all these, I'm going to tell you, in all these presentations, I was accepted and I was rejected. <laughs> <laughs> a heretic. Good man. Where were you traveling? Did you travel a lot? All virtual. So it had to do with COVID. All so they, all, all the academic conferences uh, in the last year went virtual. So, they, so had I traveled, it would have been Turkey, Bulgaria, Seattle, um, Australia, um, London, everywhere, but this year, everywhere and nowhere. Yeah, indeed. Well, you still got that uh, gnosis out, but uh, 
That's interesting. I was able to go as we were talking. I was just in your hometown of Portland about two weeks ago, so it was uh, it was really awesome. I didn't know that the uh, the Freemasons were really influential in making Portland what it is culturally, psycho- psychological, and everything. So, very cool vibe about your city there, Bernie. Are you reflecting on the Proud Boys or Antifa? <laughs> yeah, I did. I did get a tour of where they fight. It was it was rainy. It was Saturday, and I went down to there. I I I got a tour of where the uh, you know the the marches like destroyed part of the federal building or defaced it. So I did get some cool tour of the modern stuff that's going on in Portland. But so it was very cool, beautiful well, city. Well, they don't fight in the rain. Uh, no, that's that. what I was saying. I knew I was yeah, saying. Yeah, <laughs> you can't you can't uh, film for social media if it's raining and you got you know stuff on your phone. So and you remember Occupy Portland about ten years ago? It 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 went through the whole summer. So it was Occupy Wall Street and it was Occupy Portland. Um, oh. It ended when the rain started late October. I mean, the whole thing just cleared out. It didn't take anything, any statement on the part of the police or the mayor, any movement of people. It was just the rain. Oh my God, the weather. Well, the yeah, I guess capitalism wins again. Just change nice. the weather. Ask Thor for a little change in the weather, and you've got it done. Yeah, but it was a yeah, it was beautiful, and it was a great experience. And that's indeed. And with us too, we've got Occupy Pleroma himself, Vance the Moon Dog. Vance, how are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. We were chatting with Occult Fan about something else, but uh, I love the subject of angels. I used to go through the, um, the search the Bible for all the references to angels to see what they were up to, you know, How, what forms they took. I, I love it when they hide as human beings and they knock on your door, that type of thing. That's, you know, uh, one of the sneaky things they do. So ready to hear a lot of stuff. I always like to learn about it. Well, this, pro- this program is Angelic Messengers or mortal projections well, well there you weird. go that's mortal projection projections what i was talking about right well yeah. i didn't know that you know what, what would the pope say <laughs> oh <laughs> so I back to he's... miguel the pope what would you say <laughs> the pip <laughs> yeah exactly yeah he would say the the pope would say it could be both i mean that's <laughs> what uh for example uh you, uh, I find it interesting when Jung was talking about flying saucers, he said uh, they are projections of the unconscious, but he says they have a kinetic ability. They appear on radars. You can see them. So it's almost like our projection is changing reality and making something real and maybe conscious or making some sort of entity uh, have a, a matter, if you would. So it could be both, Bernie. Why not? Well, we're going to go through this program in a little bit, in a few minutes, but... In the end, if you can find your peace through angelic messengers or mortal projections, the same thing. So Deng Xiaoping, former premier of China, once said, it doesn't matter if the cat is black or white, as long as it catches the mouse. (laughs) Yeah, the results. Yeah, the results in your life. That's what matters. How, How you act and everything else, how you are transforming your psyche is clean and whole and useful. So good point. Well, that's what yeah. Deng Xiaoping said, not me, you know. Ah. <laughs> I don't maybe, think he's, he's still alive. Maybe some UFOs are angels traveling. Yeah. Well, we're going we're gonna to take a ride today that is beyond the believable. And some of the guests are going to say, well, what 
is this freaking true? And the answer is that is, we can say freaking on YouTube, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. And the answer is that it is freaking true. Um, and so we're going to go places that people just couldn't have imagined prior to this work. Nobody could have imagined. And this is the first time I've done this on a podcast before Ryan came out about four years ago. Unless you read the entire book, you could not have come to this point. Um, and there's stuff I was holding out. And I gave I gave like the final chapter at the last two conferences I did this on the psychology of religion and the other one to an archaeology worldwide archaeology conference on prehistory. I kind of let out everything that I didn't have before then put out there. And the other one was on sacred mountains. And that's a big subject for it. That's another one that we, we touched on the last time. But this program, I went back to the upper Paleolithic and we dove into the sacred mountains. Last time we talked about Moana Kea um, in Hawaii. And by the way, they sort they sort of sorted that thing out. And this basic oh, wow. story was that they want to build an observatory on top of the mountain, um, 30, $300 million, but none of the money went to the locals. And, so, and that was the local sacred mountain, their place where they went to see the stars. So in the end, it came down to a agreed upon, we need to talk about this, <laughs> as opposed to protesting and um, all that sort of stuff. So we, we, had, a, we had an influence because we came to the conclusion in our last program that people need to sit down, talk about this and exchange. This isn't science versus superstition. This is about a commonality of belief that we all have that's in our unconscious, whatever you call that unconscious. So kudos, Miguel and Vance. And great to hear and great to hear. Yeah, that people can actually work stuff out is amazing in, the, in 2021 <laughs> in these days. And yeah, and Portland has a sacred, what, Mount Tabor that I, I went up. I guess it's a hill, right? Yeah, it's kind of a hill. So, so, so <laughs> the sacred Mount Tabor is uh, where Jesus ascended. Actually, Jesus transfigured on Mount Tabor. Ah, uh, okay, okay. But we have cosmic mountains here, and there's a there's a there's a story, a native myth, I should say, of Mount St. Adams and Mount Hood that are both um, volcanic, right? You know, um, they both threw rocks at each other. They're fighting over a woman, um, and those rocks ended up in the Columbia River and blocked the Columbia River. It became like a lake that such as it is today. And the story about the coyote ultimately taking care of the rocks. And the woman became Mount St. Helens. Mm. Um, and so there's a myth. That's a story of the, the Native American story. And we can go all around. We have a lot of a very rich Native American history because we have Native Americans still here, unlike Chicago, right? I mean, all <laughs> it, right? Um, but we have, you, you had some sports team that was Native American, right? The yeah, Braves, the Blackhawks. The Black, yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay, so we, we so we actually have Native Americans who have the traditions that go back since time memorial. Um, and so we have these, all these things we talk about in Jungian sense, these archetypes, they're all here. And the Native Americans still have them in the culture. And we name, we still name our places after them. Um, True. And uh, so it's, it's, it's a rich, we're in a rich place for um, diving into the unconscious to see who we are, where we come from. But yeah. today's, today's program, we're going to go deeper than that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, I found it interesting in Portland. You could feel the magic. And I thought it interesting that a lot of the gift shops, uh, Bigfoot is very popular. A lot of Bigfoot <laughs> merch there. I was like, take yeah. me to him and keep me away from Mount St. Ellen while you're at it. 
but then I kept asking my guide, uh, my friend, well, is there any portals? And because a lot of the topics of the show has been portals that you can find in Southern France, Portugal, uh, Bermuda Sedona. Triangle. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But he told me there is a place in Oregon where there is sort of that portal. In other words, compasses don't work. Things go uphill. You know, all the signs that there is some sort of mystic portal. So it's no surprise that that's how, why Oregon is how it is. There is definitely some magic going on there. Well, there was a pro, there was a I think it was on NPR. There was a kind of an expose talk, and it might have been all. It was um, one of the Sunday morning programs, and this guy did a a story expose on Bigfoot watchers, followers, mm-hmm. and he went up to Mount Hood with them, and he camped with them and the whole deal, and he noticed two things, and he also went to a convention. He learned two things. The first thing is that. All those people, all the, all those people camping up on Mount Hood, waiting for Bigfoot to walk along. They're all single, <laughs> every one of them. <laughs> and the second thing you learn at the conferences is that they're all white. They're all Caucasian, and so there's those are the two commonalities of, of big Bigfoot watchers. Um, for however you take it, that's um, so where the nutty ones. Well, we're we're, we're all they're we're look- all attached, right, Vance? Uh, ultimately, you bet. Okay, so we're not we, we don't fall into the the Bigfoot nutty camp. Um, yeah, those guys are looking for love in all the wrong places. <laughs> That's feeling, right. But, Bigfoot's uh, boring. He never tells you anything interesting. He just kind of like disappears and appears. You know, it's like you know, at least the aliens come and like lecture you about how the Earth's going to get destroyed if you don't you know change your act or you know clean up your act. But Bigfoot doesn't say anything. Doesn't teach you anything. So well, you're an archetypal reason why there's such an interest. There's something that's striking a chord because Bigfoot, uh, the legend is just as popular today as ever, regardless of science, what they've discovered is just enduring. Well, he's the Yankee Dew of all of us. Mm-hmm. He's Gil- the Yankee Dew of the Gilgamesh and the rest of us. So there's always, we've always had the wild man and we've called him different things. Um, he's out, he is the, the, he is the the less civilized civilized among us, and among the Native Americans here in the in the Columbia Basin, they also believe in the Bigfoot. Okay, they have many different ways that they describe the Bigfoot, but ultimately he is the man that's still out in the woods, and it's the same common concept. So it's a he is the the, the beast in all of us, and uh, that's um, yeah. Because Gilgamesh, what was the name of the? Uh, Thank you, do. Enkidu, his boyfriend, whatever. Yeah, he, <laughs> he was a wild man when he found him. He was again. He probably looked like Bigfoot. <laughs> he was created. He was created to be um, Gilgamesh's um, consort, not a consort, but his his, his first he battle. He battled him, which is battle yeah. himself, of course. And ultimately, they became close friends at the end of the battle. And then they yeah. they, they romped around and did their adventures. And then he dies, and Gilgamesh is sorry and goes on his own adventures. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, classic. Yes. so, yes, the Bigfoot, there's a Bigfoot in all of us. Awesome. And it, go, well, it goes back almost 4,000 years. Makes sense. Bigfoot. Yeah. All right. Well, before we get into your awesome presentation, a little housekeeping, as I call it, for those of you after the presentation, who want for questions, please uh, write as many question marks or do it in all caps. Uh, 
if you do the super chats, of course, you will be taken to the top of the spot. Um, outside of the outside of that, for announcements, uh, we've got some very cool October shows, very Halloween themed. Uh, we got shows on the Damon, Santa Muerte, Demonology. We got, speaking of Gilgamesh, we got Micah Dank, who's going to do his astrotheology presentation on the Numa Elish and probably a Gnostic gospel. We have our Halloween special with Scott Smith and his wife, Sandra. So we got a lot of cool content coming in October. So don't miss it. Other than that, uh, for those of you who are part of the Finding Hermes program, please keep in mind we are the Q&A, the exclusive private Q&A is this Wednesday at 8 p.m. Central. And again, as I always say, if you, uh, I am now doing this full time, doing all this multimedia stuff. So if you need any voiceover work for your book, commercials, documentary, uh, whatever it is, podcasts. I am here for hire, and I've already done a lot of books and more books coming out this year and a lot of other work. So just putting it out as uh, I ask for your support as always, and I do appreciate all of, all of you who support this Red Pill Cafeteria on a weekly basis. So that's really all I got right now for announcements. I got a couple more later down the road. So let's get back or let's get to the main event with angels. Bernie, you want to get us going? Absolutely. And this, there might be a hiccup here for just a few seconds. We're going to pull up the PowerPoint presentation and um, we are going to make it so. Yeah, you got to hit the share screen. Yep. And then we'll, and um, so you're going to, I believe. There you go. Let me do, I'll, I'll add it to the stream. Oh, wait. That's not it, is it? Okay. Why that's is it right. only me? We're going to work this out. This is going to happen. Wait, hold on. There you go. I got it right. So, right now, I believe, I truly believe that you can see sort of the cover screen, but you can't see any notes. Correct. We see no notes. We just see this angel pointing down angelic messengers or mortal projections. And Bernie Taylor. Here we and go. Bernie. Ready, everybody? Ready Let's when go. you are. The show now begins. How did we first come to connect with the bird man or angel and integrate them into our belief systems? This is a question that takes us across continents into our earliest images in upper pillar of the cave art. Thank you for having me on your channel to present Angelic Messengers or Mortal Projections. My name is Bernie Taylor, and my research explores a deep route to mankind's creative capacity by looking at how we came to view our cosmos through the study of Upper Pelvic Cave Art. In this presentation, we were journeying back in time to the earliest depicted, depicted angelic projections from the human imagination to better understand how they came to be. Belief in the angel, or human bird avionoid, as a messenger between humans and the divine is widely found in religious literature, art, and in the anthropological record. Here we find the angel Gabriel in the Abrahamic traditions, who is a messenger to Mary, mother of Jesus, Abraham, Daniel, and Muhammad. 
The avionoid comes in many forms and is not unique to Abrahamic traditions. The Greek Zeus, god of sky and thunder, who ruled over Mount Olympus, transformed himself into the eagle Agala to swoop down and abduct the beautiful young boy Antinous, who would become his cupbearer. The falcon-headed Horus was an intermediary to the divine for the ancient Egyptians. The giant bird Garuda was a mount of the Hindu god Vishnu. Tengu, with his human and avian characteristics, is found in the Japanese folk religion. In ancient Babylon, an important deity was the winged avianoid Ishtar, and in ancient Assyria, the benevolent genie was winged. In the Siberian Yakut shamanic experience, the practitioner transforms in a sacred horse dance through the aid of a horse and bird. The aim of the dance is usually to travel to another dimension, often the land of the dead, whether above or below, to ask the sea shaman for assistance in healing or some other need of the clan. In mythological terms, the transformer of Yakut shaman might be called a trickster. The tradition of asking the deceased for assistance, whether they be demigods or saints, was widespread in ancient times as well as in practice today. This chronicle of a Yakut shaman's horse dance was documented on 1900 by a Russian ethnographer. We should watch for transformative practices, including through birds and horses, and consider the concept of healing in the arts as we go along. On the American continents and Siberia, animistic peoples adorned the wings of a bird to connect with the great mystery. The wearing of just a single feather to aid in the same connection to the beyond, which goes by so many words, can be found almost worldwide among people who not long ago or presently are hunter-gatherers. This is a global phenomenon that may reach back to our earliest animistic roots deep in the prehistoric past. There are still some shamanistic and animistic spiritual leaders who transform into a bird and other animal beings. To reach them, we must travel to the ends of the asphalt highways from our secular cities, past the fringes of faith-based agricultural communities with their stone churches and dome mosques. These are peoples, often without a written history, whose breath of spiritual secrets rarely enter the anthropological record. We can draw what has been learned by anthropologists and then look to the archaeological record for further study. There we may find more about from where the avianoids of atomistic, shamanistic, and ancient times to the present originate, and whether these images are truly angelic messengers or mortal projections. Clues may be found with this prehistoric avianoid in the French Cape of Lascaux to about 17,000 years ago. He is in the so-called shaft of the dead man. Note that there is no evidence he or anyone else was dead in the shaft. The birdman is surrounded by a bison who appears to be dropping her calf, a spraying rhino, and a bird on a post. The orientation of the bird on the post and the hooves of the rhino establish the lower horizontal plane. The birdman is at the same angle of the helical horizon of Orion relative to the horizon. Note that the orientation of the constellation to the horizon changes over time and in different locations. This pictorial, this pictorial astronomical relationship is not likely to be by chance. We may find more clues in other Alpelitha caves. On the Agnes Day panel in the French Grotte de Père Père, from an earlier period, we find this agitated horse or mare looking over her back. Picasso appears to have borrowed this horse from Grotte de Père Père. I'm being generous with the word borrowing. The Spanish artist 
has an interesting twist on this perspective. In his own words, I would rather copy others than repeat myself. And that way, I should at least be giving them something new. We can compare and expand in view of the original panel to my outline mask Birdman character. The mask is most representative of a griffin vulture. Less obvious are the rump and the forward rear legs, rear leg of the horse that have the appearance of a plunge diving turn. Know that the Birdman merges with the previously pictured horse to become a kind of, become a kind of centaur. The vulture gives him the wings to fly, the turning to plunge dive, and the horse the ability to run fast. They may also gain the use of other sensory traits such as higher levels of vision, hearing, taste, and smell that may not be as strong in other human animals. This is, of course, a psychological experience. Picasso borrowed this apelithic avenoid for his 1936 painting, curtain design for Roman Relais' play, Le Fortune Juliet. Note the long beak, strong breasts, large fingers, and odd feet on both characters. We might find evidence of the avionoid among earlier art at the upper pillar of the cave of El Castillo on the Iberian Peninsula, where on the 10 meter across panel, about 30 feet, called the gallery of discs, there are more than 80 red discs that are on average about the size of the palm of your hand. One disc among them has been dated to at least 34,000 years ago. On this panel, we find an archetypal teacher and apprentice we may also refer to the archetypal teacher as a spiritual leader or trickster, who is the internal guide from the place of the ordinary to that of the extraordinary, such that he may take us today. Note the wide instrument eyes of the apprentice and how the teacher speaks into his ear. He appears to be sharing a captivating story. Maybe he can tell us more about avionoids. Let's listen in. Also listening in on the shoulder of the teacher is a fledging golden eagle that stands about a foot tall, this is a roughly to mid, late, mid to late June time period for the young ego. The artist is designating a time and place. There's also this mass cosmic man avionoid whose left leg and right arm are raised. The right hand holds what appears to be an egg. His left arm has a feathered texture. We can take a closer look at the mask of the cosmic man. Note that he has one eye on the left side of his face and the right is the beak of an eagle. One can see the impression of a nose below the mask and what appears to be a mouth and teeth above a dropped chin. This is where we can truly see the many realities of anatomist. When we turn our heads 90 degrees sideways and we're watching you right now, Vance, which may take us out of our chairs, the teacher and the fledging golden eagle transform into the mask of the cosmic man. See how the artists use the juvenile eagle to form the beak of the cosmic man's mast. The artist is telling us that the bird and the man are separate, but can also become the same. The avionoid is now the divine. The teacher as trickster travels with the assistance of the bird to another reality or dimension, which is of the divine. We will learn more about these concepts as we go along. On this panel, we find a speckled mare. She's agitated and appears to be leaping with her head turned as if something is on her back. Our cosmic man may be what has agitated the speckled mare. He merges with her in the same tradition as the Birdman horse on the Agnes Day panel at Grote Père Père and the Yakut Shaman. Again, the horse gives him strength. The cosmic man is now the hero who has answered the call and is now on his adventure or journey 
all the animal beings on this panel merge or interact with the human characters. We encounter another transformation where a mask is put on to become an avionoid. Note that our hero's left hand is feathered and behind his back. This is, all, this is also the feathered left hand of the cosmic man. They are the same character. The avionoid or early source of angels is originally of a man. I fully accept for some scholars and listeners that this may be that aha moment, while for others, it may be heresy at best. Yet wherever one stands, questions about from where we come from and how we came to believe what we do face us all. There are many other animal beings on this panel. Some will help us to put the avionoid in context. One is a spinning bottlenose dolphin. Note that the dolphin is depicted above the surf. We have now entered a marine environment. Our hero merges with the dolphin to become a merman and now has the ability to swim and leap out of the water like a dolphin. The dolphin also assists our hero by lifting him into the sky. He reaches the far shore, which is now West North Africa, to be greeted by a monk seal. The artist is describing a journey across land and sea. On that far shore, there's a woman in distress. See her sunken chin and cheeks, sorrowful eyes, and long braided hair accentuated by the red discs. When the damsel distress archetype is encountered, the story is evoked. The surrounding characters fill in the cast. There's a Spitz's dog with its tail flopped forwards. Present DNA studies indicate that the Spitz is one of the earliest known dogs. Here is an elephant drinking water from a pool and another with a raised trunk, or so it seems. Turn your head sideways again, and you will see that they are the same elephant. The artists form from the same ear and trunk. Our hero enters and swims in the pool. See his head and arms freestyle swimming. Our strong swimmer's moving head show him coming up for air between strokes. He encounters the elephant in the pool. The artist depicted an aerial view of the elephant in the water with her floating ears. We find pictured here in an inner conflict. Our hero meets and struggles with himself, where we will soon see is another time and place. Perhaps this is an apropelithic version of the ghost of Christmas past. The hero has external external battles as well. He encounters a lion who paws him to the ground. The hero prevails, becoming the apex predator. As a symbol of that great strength, he wears the red spotted pelt. pelt. This depicted myth is, of course, connected to that of Hercules, who slays the main lion in a deep cave and takes home the bloody pelt as evidence. We continue on to find a mother bear watching her cubs climb a tree to safety. And a toothy crocodile, which our hero gets mixed up with. We now turn back time to mid-June some 35,000 years ago with astronomical software to see these depicted human and animal beings on the gallery disc and in the night sky as constellations. The journey of our heroes mirrored in the night sky. We can recognize many of the constellations in the great ancient Greek astronomical record from Ptolemy. Traveling from north to south at the top of the panel, when turned 90 degrees again, we have the masked Cossack man who's the constellation Hercules. The eagle that emerges with is Adler. The eagle also emerges with the horse that is Pegasus to give her wings. Remember Pegasus as a constellation. We return to this character again. 
in that great astronomical expanse we call the sea is the bottomless dolphin Pisces, which is swimming southward in a scene we can now recognize through astronomy as a night's journey across water in psychological terms. On the southern shore is the monk seal, which the Greeks found to be the monster Cetus. I've swam with monk seals and found them to be quite playful. I suppose that if one heard a monk seal in the dark, the being might sound monstrous. In other presentations that, become my, that can be found on my webpage, beforeorion.com, I guide the viewer through additional human and animal beings on the gallery of discs to explore the origins of other constellations. Many are familiar to us, such as the pictured Spitzdog, which is Canis Major, the red-haired heroes Orion, who we viewed as being lifted out of the water by the dolphin and confronting himself as Perseus in a different time and place. As well as the Lion Leo, Ursa Major is the she-bear, Draco the dragon, as represented by the crocodile, among others. What is most important about these animal beings and constellations in this discussion is that the avianoid experience came from a broader spiritual journey across time and space that involved many animal beings, which assisted the hero. Some other animal beings worth noting are the juvenile giraffe, who hides her neck behind her mother's, along with the Barbary ape, which are both native to Africa, and this breaching humpback whale, who carries our hero home in her belly, that is reminiscent of the biblical Jonah and the whale. This, the succession of characters illustrate that the journey or pilgrimage of the hero on the gallery of discs is from Europe and the north at the top of the panel to West North Africa at the bottom with this presented orientation. And then he travels back again. We can determine Europe as the region by the pictured horse and other animals that were native to the continent. The Strait of Gibraltar where the hero swam as a dolphin, encountered the seal and rode across inside of the whale are described by these marine animals. Western North Africa is where we found the, the giraffes and Barbary ape. We can thereby originate the avianoid archetype to at least 35,000 years ago at the Iberian Peninsula or West North Africa. A sacred space in either region could have been the starting point or destination of this prehistoric cosmic pilgrimage. We may find such a sacred space as we journey forwards in this presentation. Let us now travel to Gorham's Cave of Gibraltar to view Gorham's etching, which, which is contemporaneous, contemporaneous with the Gaudis. Miguel needs to help me with that word. Gorham's etching bears a close resemblance to the nearby Mohassan, which is the highest peak on the Iberian Peninsula. Let us take a closer look to compare the horizontal and vertical lines on each. Note the natural irregularity in the mountain that the Gorham's etching artist captured. This section has the look of an agitated horse. This is paranoia, but at the same time gives us a physical source for Gorham's etching. So the view is upper left on Gorham's etching. There are a teacher wearing a, a we teacher wearing a mask and his listening apprentice. The mask of the teacher has the appearance of a kite. We can see the mouth of the teacher below the mask. The scene echoes the spiritual leader on the gallery disc who whispers into the ear of the wide-eyed apprentice. Note that we have seen the hero and the teacher transform to different birds at each location. Each species of birds may have designated the clan or region of each spiritual leader. There are artifacts whose details support the idea of the Alpropelithic artists became, becoming avianoids in their ceremonies through the use of actual bird feathers. 
the remains of bird bones, primarily from the wings of raptors, have been found at Gorham's cave. Many of the Gorham bones, bird bones, have intentional marks, which indicate that the feathers were handled and could have been, been used symbolically, such as with a headdress or clothes. The bones range in age from 23,000 to 52,000 years ago, although 90% of the bones are more recent than 43,000 years ago. Like the Gargadis teacher, the Gorham Etching teacher, spiritual leader, draws strength from other animal beings. We can see a mother bear with her golden club, cub extending from his, her, his light left shoulder and a wolf on his right. They both give him, give him strength on his journey. There are many other characters on this panel. The artists used two of the horizontal lines on Mahasan to create this other agitated horse. This suggests that the agitated horse character was first found as pareidolia in the geological face of Mahasan, then projected into the night sky as the constellation Pegasus. Afterwards, the image was transferred to other cave walls. This observation is consistent with animistic traditions where the animals, geological formations, and the stars are spiritual beings. In the modern sense, we may say they're like gods. The central line forms the waist of our hero, while vertical and horizontal lines outline his running legs. He encounters an ostrich. One can look closely at the ostrich character to see the features of the man. They're slightly in front of him. If you look closely, slightly in front of the ostrich. Our hero merges with the ostrich to become this odd, monstrous character who is accompanied by a pair of overlapping dogs. The character in his left hand has the appearance of a lion. Perhaps the legs of the ostrich give him the ability to run faster. He then transforms into a centaur-like bird, man, in the traditions of the Agnes Day panel in the Grotti Paranon pair, and the Garvedis in the El Castillo cave, and the animal beings on those beings on those panels that give him strength. One might consider this image to be the insane, yet high forms of art, whether expressed in song, dance, or in the paintings and engravings we find throughout the time, are sometimes both a symptom and a remedy for the prevalent state of grief or mental illness. That is, they're the antidote churned up by the mind when trapped in a box of normality. The creation of the art is a healing process. In the anthropological literature on shamanism in Siberia, there's often a long-term shaman's illness, illness that is that the practitioner has suffered and which drew him or her in this direction. We readily think of Van Gogh, Munch, and Michelangelo as he healing artists. Were there upper Paleolithic artists seeking to achieve, achieve the same healing experience? They were clearly seeking transformation and at a high level artist, artistry that we still seek to imitate. We find a cosmological connection in our transformed Coram's cave hero. The bright star Cirrus is Canis Major, designated behind both Orion characters. Cirrus is an actual star on the flank of the four-dog at his rear. The character in his left hand is Sidlion, who guides Orion in Greek mythology. In this series of images, we find the underworld, or inner cave, is a reflection of both the terrestrial and stellar realms. They are the cave artist cosmos and consistent with the shaft of the dead man, the Losco cave and the gallery disc and El Castillo cave. They, they may portray the cosmic entrance point on the path to spiritual or psychological hearing. We can recall the pictorial relationship between the Birdman of Lascaux and how he 
and the constellation Orion were angled to the horizon. Here we have a different orientation in the time and place of the Gorham etching artist. Throughout these images, we have found that the teacher, spiritual leader, and perhaps trickster has guided the initiate and us through the three realms that structure the interwoven fabric of his cosmos. Those are the mortal plane, the underworld, and the celestial realm, which can neither be studied empirically nor consciously experienced, and thus evade the tools of scientific analysis. Such tools of scientific analysis that the Swiss psychoanalyst Carl Jung, who this audience is familiar with, has long been criticized for not entertaining. Jung had his own avianoid encounters. The avianoid Philemon was, first came to Jung in a dream in 1913. Later in life, Philemon and Jung often conversed as he walked through his garden. Jung was the teacher spiritual leader of his time. Through his own psychic healing, Jung surfaced an archetypal avianoid from within that gave him the ability to find wisdom and strength, as did teacher spiritual leaders who visited the upper Pelothic caves. Prophets from the ancient world and the faiths they left to us, as well as among animists and shamanists from long ago to this day. Was Jung too deep, too deep, too close to his own subject matter, then that being himself, or did he walk his own talk? My interpretation is that Philemon was a mortal projection and not a divine angelic messenger, as were evidenced by all of the other avianoids explored in this presentation that Jung was consciously and unconsciously aware of. These mortal projections were retained in Jung's personal unconscious and are held somewhere deep in the well of our collective unconscious from a time when we all considered ourselves to be animal beings. These avianoids continue to be transformative characters that we easily recognize as they speak to our psychological willingness to interact with and draw strength from other animal beings. The transformative avianoid is often integral to the spiritual experience that is at the core of our being and apparently unique to humans. Garudasana or ego pose in yoga, along with other, other animal being helpers, and the movements through the cosmos and the practice are barely indistinguishable from the animistic cosmic interactions projected by the cave artists. We still see the remains of a common spiritual psycho psych psychology. In the ceremonies and images around us, these traditions and archetypal characters are the port from which we sail and the place that is our cultural heritage. Without appreciating the spiritualities hunter-gatherers within ourselves and how their ideas branch to the religions of our time, we're like a ship, ship adrift at sea with empty sails, we're unable to, unable to recognize what we truly believe, forever being tossed in the winds and currents of succeeding theologies. Our ability to look back tens of thousands of years and the upper Pelothic cave record now connects dots in our psychological understanding of religion, bringing a not yet forgotten spirituality back into the light. Thank you again for giving this opportunity to present this program on AM Byte channel. More in my work can be found at these sites. The floor is open to discussion, and I'm now going to stop sharing the screen. And that all sounded good. That okay. was wonderful. Thank you very much. And, now I'm going to move my. I'm going to switch. I'm going to move me to. I'm going to turn off my PowerPoint, and and then I'm going to. Um, <coughs> you're gonna, and I'm going to move i'm going to do a, sh a dupe screen 
I got real techie in this. Yeah, uh, no kidding. Where are we going? I'm going to do a, a duplicate screen. And so that I can see you now face to face. Awesome. Awesome. Yes, we are back to where we were before. Thank you very much for that, Bernie. Uh, a lot to think about. Before, I'm going to let you t- catch your breath, and then I'll, we'll just go with Vance and the audience. I have, and it's uh, water. It's water. It's water. It right off the mountain hook, guys. Whatever makes you happy. Whatever right makes you happy, Bertie. But, uh, yeah, I wanted to uh, mention a product, and this is a Gnostic Viagra. Just kidding. If you take it, you won't want to be romantic ever again. You'll just hide in the darkness. You'll go out during the day and scream at the sun. So it probably wouldn't be a very good product. But now that I have your attention, I did want to mention a book that um, it's a book that I just read, Holy Wisdom and the Logos of God from past guest James Brantingham. And I wanted to mention it because uh, this book, uh, again, that I really enjoyed is uh, Five Translations, uh, The Secret Book of John, the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Philip, the Gospel of Truth by Valentinus, and the Gospel of Mary. And they're really good translations. And this, uh, I think James has it for for the paperback, fourteen ninety nine, and then Kindle is five ninety nine. And he wanted me to mention that during October you can get the Kindle version for only ninety nine cents, and they're very good translations. <laughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> What I like about James is that he provides some very ecumenical translations. In other words, most scholars kind of present a classical translation, but he gives you a sort of uh, closer to uh, modern Christianity, New Testament kind of uh, uh, a translation uh, without losing the accuracy of the original intent and theology of the Christian Gnostics. So it's something that's more approachable, and I think you will like it. Um, I remember Willis Barnstone, the great Gnostic translator. He's the force behind the Gnostic Bible with Marvin Meyer. He told me that translations should be both literal and literary. In other words, probably like the people of those caves, Bernie, the, the writers of these Gospels wanted to connect with their audiences. They were doing marketing. They wanted to put it out in the most uh, interesting, engaging way. They probably did a lot of these gospels and um, performance art and plays out on squares, but in their minds, they wanted to connect with their audience. So Willis always said that whatever the translation is, it has to fit the needs of the audience of whatever history you're presenting it. And James does an excellent, uh, an excellent job uh, presenting, giving us translations that work for our modern audience without losing the story or the theology or the intent of the authors. So definitely uh, highly recommend it. And uh, it's again, uh, for the month of October, it's only 99 cents. I will have links to this book, Holy Wisdom and the Logos of God on this YouTube show notes. I'll have it on the audio show notes and I'll have it at our website. So get it in the month of October. I really enjoyed it, and I just thought I would mention this very cool book. Again, The Secret Book of John, Gospel of Thomas, Gospel of Philip, and Gospel of 
Mary. And um, it doesn't matter if you already have a lot of translations at home and you're, you've read the Stephen Davis and the April DeConnick, or you're new to Gnosticism, these translations will definitely add to your perspective if you're interested in Gnostic philosophy, theology, etc. So I thought I'd mention it, and that's it. And yes, the Viagra, I don't, I'll work on that later for another time <laughs> if you guys are interested. But that's it. But anyway, I, uh, I want to give, now I want to give it to you, Vance. You have questions, or what does the audience have for Bernie and his excellent presentation? Yeah, like, uh, let's see. I'll start with Astorox Foundation, our friend and on. Are the animals figures of the rock formations and carvings shown in the El Castillo cave commonly accepted in academia, or is this a personal interpretation? Well, they're accepted now, but before I worked on this, they, were, they didn't exist. I've given presentations. Well, commonly accepted academia is not like a real thing. Um, <laughs> yeah. but that, the, no. academics argue with each other but this um, i just came off a 12 um, virtual academic tour the last one conference the last one was a uispp in morocco um it's the that's as big as it goes that's the union international Pro, prehistoric and proto um historic congress so, so yes. they were excited about it and they uh, you know they said yeah, hey, yeah that's really excited. there there's lots of people excited. And before that, I did one on, um, to the um, to the European Society of Archaeoastronomy. And they were all, um, and I did one that previously, that was in uh, Bulgaria and Argentina to the International, Arche 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 International Astronomical Union. Those are the people that decided Pluto was no longer a planet. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I've been old. So, so there's a, this is disruptive. Okay, I'm going to put it out there. Um, and if if you're not, ready to um, walk into the, the, the underworld of the disruptive, um, my work is not the place for you. Um, if you're not, if, you, if you're a believer, if, what, I'm not this particular listener, but if an individual is a believer in angels, my work is not the place for you. Um, if, if, if you, if people, if you're an individual who believes that, um, the modern citizen began with the ancient Greeks or maybe the, the Egyptians. My work is not the stuff for you. Um, and so I've pushed back the clock 35,000 years for everything we thought pretty much came from the ancient Greeks and the Egyptians. Um, and it asked very deep questions, uh, questions that uh, people struggle with. And I understand that. But, you know, it goes back to Deng Xiaoping. It doesn't matter if the cat is cat. black or white as long as he catches the mouse. But that was a good question. Thank you very much. All righty. Um, have you seen, uh, Mick Awesome Deluxe wants to know, have you seen Pillar 43 of Gobekli Tepe? Yes, uh, I have. So that's the, so everybody, um, Go Gobekli Tepe dates to about 11,000 years ago. Um, my work goes to 35,000 years ago. Okay. And uh, so my, and I have, 15 constellations that are the exact same characters and the exact same orders that the ancient Greeks had in Ptolemy. Um, on the on the Gobekli pillar, maybe there's Sagittarius, maybe there's something else, but there's actually no organization that we can relate to in modern times. Uh, there, so there's nothing on that pillar that we can that lines up with anything. Um, and so people say, well, sat, the, the scorpion is um, the scorpion is the is uh, Scorpius. 
Well, it's a, I look at see a Scorpio. Okay. What we're missing, this is what we're missing. I'm not, so people at Gobekli Tepe 11,000 years ago had an established astronomy. No question about that. Because Native Americans have an established astronomy, some which even connects to 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 same constellations as the Ursa Major, um, so pre-Bringer migrations. So Native Americans came over 15 to 22,000 years ago. It keeps getting pushed back. Um, a different migration route, different migrations. So we have a movement of astronomical information across Asia, across then Beringia, into the Americas uh, at least 22,000 years ago that ultimately originally came to either from either um, the Iberian Peninsula or West, I would say West North Africa. So Gobekli Tepe comes on the scene. It's kind of in the middle of time. It's 11,000 years ago. If you were taking a, taking a, um, a bus from Portland, Oregon, where I am, to Miami, Florida, Gobekli Tepe is like if you picked it up in, you know, Nashville. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> The bus left a long way in time and space before it landed in Nashville. Um, so the people at Gobekli Tepe had an astronomy. It has yet to been proven at Gobekli Tepe. I, excuse me, that I believe it's there, but it needs to be a little more digging to find the other pillars to see if there's um, commonality between them. As it is right now, you've got a the only commonality is you've got a, a, a fox in one circle and you have a fox in another, and then you have the pillars, but there's nothing else yet to tell us that these are recognizable constellations. Keep digging, and we find more pillars. We'll find, hopefully, we'll find replicas of the currently surface pillars, and then we'll see. We'll find that answer. But from my perspective, it's irrelevant because that's Nashville, <laughs> and the bus left at least in Portland, based on the current thirty-five thousand years ago, and I would argue that it's much older than that. Okay, you know, you said something, um, uh, one of the uh, listeners and uh, viewers, I should say, um, asked too. You said, if we believe in angels, your work isn't for us, did, or did I mishear that? Yes, if you believe, if you, there are people who believe in the the spiritual angle, a, angel. They mm -hmm. go to bed at night, they pray, and they, all that sort of stuff, and they, you know, get Angel Gabriel, thank you for my deal, you know, for everything that happened in the world, and Mary's perhaps an angel now, or something like that. My work's not for you because Why do you what say I'm that? doing is I am, I am saying that the angel, and I've gone back 35,000 years ago, I found the earliest known roots that we have of angels. We can see the man who transforms with the mask. We can carry this tradition over tens of thousands of years. The ancient uh, Abraham didn't make up the angel. The angel concept existed before him. It existed among, in, 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 as Ishtar, it, it existed among all these people around the world. And in this system, among Native Americans who also transformed through an, through an, an angelic character. Um, they themselves wear a, a feathered headdress to um, transform, to connect with the great mystery by so many words. So, so for someone believes in angels, uh, this isn't this isn't for you. However, however, I'm going to put it to you this way. In those final moments, in your very end, believe in something. 
It may be Miguel's smiling face. It may be the laughter of your children. And if it's angels, stick with it because that's your eternity, whether it be forever or just the, the, the final seconds that your brain no longer works. So find whatever that is in your end. You Maybe you need a God, a great almighty. Maybe you need the smiling faces of loved ones such as Miguel with you. I need, I need Bigfoot in Atlantis. <laughs> your work is still me, Bernie. Even with Bigfoot in Atlantis, your work is still free. Bigfoot with wings. There you go. <laughs> so very good question on, on Gobekli, on Angels, Gobekli Tepe, Gobekli Tepe. And on the question of, is it mainstream? You know, we have to realize that all currently mainstream hypotheses and theories were once fringe. They all were. I mean, so that's just how it is. And so there's a process. And what it takes is to, for anybody um, who has a disruptive theory, um, is to go out there and go to these conferences and be accepted and be rejected um, and be humble, be um, non-confrontational. Um, and what actually came out of this conference, one of the, um, an editor of an archaeological journal, archaeology journal in Europe, asked me to write a paper um, that I finished yesterday is going off to the, the print. Um, and so the there's people who, th there's been a huge gap in the history of mankind. And there's there's a lot of speakers out there who have tried to fill that gap. And you, you know all the names, okay? We know the names, right? Um, what they had right is that there's a gap. What they didn't have right, or they they were they didn't have all the pieces to the right, is that it goes back to thirty five thousand years ago at the very least. So it's it's not Gobekli Tepe, and it's not Atlantis. I'm gonna put the word out there. It's yeah, not Atlantis. Okay, I'm gonna put it out there. It's not okay. The next you'll tell me Bigfoot Bigfoot yeah. isn't around, Bernie. Then I'll have to cut you off, man. <laughs> Well, you know, Bigfoot is serious stuff here in Oregon. The, during co during well, COVID is still on, I guess. But the mayor, the um, the governor of Oregon wears a Bigfoot mask. Um, no way. So awesome. we are, um, you know, it's, don't mess. Yeah. Yeah, don't mess with your tourism. Don't mess with that Bigfoot. Yeah, yeah. He's, yeah. he's the uh, state bird of Oregon. But these are awesome. <laughs> these are these are very important questions. These are questions that are challenging me, uh, but they're also challenging everybody else in this sphere of alternative prehistory as well as mainstream prehistory. Yeah, I, I don't know. Personally, I think that um, uh, that uh, there can be a spiritual reality okay. together with um, uh, the ancients from 34, 35,000 years ago depicting uh, animal creatures with wings. I mean, the birds have been around since prehistoric times, the dinosaurs, like the pterodactyls and so forth. So I don't see why there can, you know, as above, so below, you know, as the hermetics say. So um, maybe you personally, I, I guess you're... Um, you consider yourself a materialist is that right and there you have it my beloved true seekers the first part of our ab live with bernie taylor man bernie gets very inspirational in the second part as he covers the trickster archetype carl Jung, the metaphysics of animism and much more yes indeed heresy is really so much damn fun Including the audio version, this is a cool listen if you leverage the private RSS feed from AB Prime, Patreon, 
or even Red Circle, and they all work in the podcast provider of your choice. Check it out all in the show notes. So please become an AB Prime member or patron at Patreon or Red Circle subscriber for the full audio interview and to support this Red Pill Cafeteria. Go to thegodaboveguide.com or look at the show notes for means to assist and get the infernal rewards. Or just contact my ass. Whether it's Patreon or AB Prime or Red Circle, it will cost you about a buck per episode. And that's a deal of many lifetimes. The alternative spirituality and philosophy of the Gnostics is more important than ever. And it's certainly a valid way to become your own bird person in this age of Hermes. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being yourself, your true self, here in the desert of the real. Hello and goodbye, as always. Thank you.